The Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you train and realize how important sleep is to you being your best, then head to Pillar Performance's website and get yourself some triple magnesium. Use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off. And then once it gets to you, start taking your triple magnesium 45 minutes before bed every night and watch how much better you sleep and therefore how much better you feel every single morning. And if you're in America, it's available to you exclusively through thefeed.com. The 20% discount code of HTT20 still works there too. Ben, with less than two weeks until race day, let's get stuck straight into talking about the men's race at the PTO US Open. Tell me, how do you think the the men's race dynamic uh, are most likely to play out? And more importantly, how do you see yourself fitting into that? Right. I mean, I think with the PTO races now, we've just seen a front swim group get away with the quality of swimmers that are going to be there, especially with Aaron Royal, Martin Van Real, Jan, Ali, I mean, I can name, you know, five to eight guys who are all capable of pushing the pace in the swim. And I would say at least half of those guys are super motivated to push on the bike. And, you know, when you look at the races where a lot of the guys have been able to push the swim and there's a little bit of a lead and people are aggressive on the bike, the race just kind of shatters. And, Granted, we haven't had, you know, another course like this except for Dallas, which had like the caveat of being super hot there with people being tentative with it. But I think just there's a lot of people who don't want to race with Magnus and hold him off as long as possible. And then there's a lot of people who don't want to run with Jason West. And so I think those two people, um, like with not wanting to be around them, the swim and bike are just going to be super full on the entire time. And you know, I see myself, I'm always kind of in that front pack and, you know, either a player in the swim or the bike. And, you know, the main goal is just, if you can get yourself off that bike in the front of the race, you give yourself a shot because this sort of PTO racing has been so brutal where people fade, you know, in the second half of the different disciplines. And if you're fading in the second half of the run, like that's some time where if you could be strong there, you can really, you know, make up some places. So let's talk about this front swim pack because obviously I had that chat with um, Aaron Royal, um, Tom Bishop and Frederick Funk that me and you were talking about before we started recording. And we, we spent a lot of time talking about this exact same thing. Um, and, and you were obviously a name we mentioned as playing a role in that. Everyone who is going to, like is almost guaranteed to be in that front pack seems like they're on the same page that, hey, let's work together. Like Aaron told the story of him and Martin Van Reel having already spoken to each other and said, we are going to work together. We are going to push the swim to make sure Christian Blumenfeld, Magnus Ditlib, Jason West, Sam Long, Lionel Sanders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, just cannot get a look in in the race. Will you get involved with those boys? Will you have conversations with Aaron Royal, Jan Fredino, Alistair Brownlee, Martin Van Reel, Tom Bishop, you know, Braden Curry, Daniel Backengard? Will that crew, will you guys get together um, and and go, hey, let's work together. Let's make sure these guys don't get anywhere near the front of the race. 
Yeah, I think there's always a bit of conversation and a mutual agreement to push the pace in the swim where it benefits all of us. Um, I think it starts to get messy when you start talking to like five to eight guys. Um, Cause I think, you know, traditionally in ITU races and stuff, that's what Alistair done, did with his brother and Richard Varga. And he talked to me about it too in uh, Montreal once where like somebody takes a pole for 300 meters, pulls way off and the next person cycles through to just keep that pace super high. And you can do that, but you really have to trust the people around you and trust that, you know, you can slide back in and everything. So I think that's probably, you know, what Aaron and Martin might be talking about a little bit. And that works, you know, pretty well overall. And I think that guys like Jan or Alistair and myself would all happily take a pull as well to keep that pace high. And then everybody just kind of starts to sort things out on the bike and figuring out, you know, is this the pack we want? Who's going to push the pace? And it's almost the same similar tactics there. It's just, you can't talk in the water and do it as you go. You kind of have to have a little bit of word and, you know, at the very least, you know, a little bit of a nod or something before the start to be like, yeah, we all want to push the pace. My, my question about this swim pack, as opposed to like the European open swim pack is, I feel like this one might have one or two extra people who could who could potentially be in the front swim pack. So like if we go through the list, to me, these guys are most likely to be able to stay with the front pack, no matter how hard the pace is pushed. So Aaron Royal, Martin Van Riel, Tom Bishop, Mark Dubrick, Alistair Brownlee, Jan Fredino, yourself, Braden Curry, Daniel Backengard, and Florian Angert. That's 10 people. Do you think that all of those names are sort of undroppable no matter how hard the swim is? And do you think that that swim pack, if they are all there, is a little too big and it might actually string out and allow Christian Blumenfeld to get on the the you know the 10th pair of feet and, and stay in that front pack because of it, like we saw at Kona last year or, you know, Magnus Ditlev or... Um, or, or maybe even like probably not someone like Sam Long, but maybe a Jason West. Do you think it allows those guys to be able to sit on the, the back end of that group if it's too big? You know, it's a little hard to say. And with those guys, I don't know if every single person is undroppable. I think that that pack that you just listed is a pretty solid 10 guys, just like we had a pretty solid 10 guys basically in the Euro Open. And transition actually, I think, was one of the bigger deciders of who ended up making that pack or not. Cause I think I was right next to Tom Bishop, one of the last guys out of the water of that pack, but ended up mounting like right after Jan and was kind of comfortably in there. And then someone like Daniel Backegaard got dropped right away and wasn't able to latch on. So I think that it's a little bit twofold. The guys like Jason and Christian and um, you know, you might even throw in someone like a, a Gregory Barnaby or something like that, who, and a Mickey Tagholt, he's always a pretty solid swimmer as well, but might be some people who are like on the fringe. And it really just depends how that first buoy sorts out too. And if Aaron and Martin and some of these guys are really going to push the pace, we have to break the hips first. And it's really, how does everybody slot in? And where are those middle guys in between? So there's definitely a chance. I've seen Jason and Christian swim, you know, up towards that front pack, just depending on who is actually leading the swim and the dynamics of the race. So um, I, I'd say it's super hard to figure out. But I think that even if we have a bigger pack coming out of the water, a lot of that gets sorted because some guys will be on the limit just trying to hold on. And some of that gets sorted, you know, in that first 
lap of the bike. And that's when the packs kind of start to settle. And, you know, Alistair, Jan, uh, Martin Van Riel too. Like a lot of these guys are just going to really hammer that first part of the bike to like make that brake stick and make that split stick. So that's kind of, I think the more of the key moment almost is once you get that pack and it's established and if people are close or not, it's really that first lap or two and sorting everything out and seeing what those gaps are and how hard those guys are going to ride. When you say first, we need to break the hips in the water. Can you explain to people what you mean by that? Of course. Um, well, if you take Roth, for example, it was an in-water start wetsuit and about a thousand to 1500 meters to the first swim buoy. So if we all start in the same line and we all, you know, start sprinting, if you hang on somebody's hip and let's say like, if I'm, you know, the first person and somebody's swimming, you know, right to the left of you, right on that hip, not necessarily side by side, you're actually slowing everybody down. And if you can just get past that hip breaking and the person either drops onto the feet to get the draft there, or you get past them and they aren't even on your feet, you actually move so much faster. So it's as a swimmer, it's what the most frustrating thing in the swim is to have people either right on your hip or swimming side by side if you're leading the race, because we're just not making the most of how fast we're going. And so with having a, a dive in start, potentially non wetsuit, all of that stuff helps with kind of sorting people out in those first 100 to 200 meters versus if it's a long dragged out start wetsuit, it just people are able to hang on a little bit longer. And that doesn't really allow those gaps to happen as fast. And you have to work a little bit more strategically or a little bit harder to try and, you know, gap somebody or somewhere in the field. So when we're watching the US Open and in the men's race, if we see a single file line where there's no crossover, that means that the pace is hot and and everyone's working hard and we're more likely to see splits versus if we see sort of like two rows of three or, you know, a, a really drawn out line of like six guys next to each other, that means things are a bit slower and it's more likely that Magnus or Christian or Jason West is sitting on because of that. A hundred percent. It's kind of like a Peloton in, in watching the Tour de France. Like it's, if it's really long and strung out, like that's exactly what you want. Cause even if you're like the 15th person, that could be, you know, 15 seconds or 20 seconds as you're going around that buoy and there's more chance for it to split more chance for gaps to open though. The one other thing too, to consider is if it is slow and when you go around that first buoy and there's that huge, just pack of guys going around there, that's where I think some people panic, get split up, get dunked. Like it's just chaotic if you're not in that front, you know, five or six guys. So that's kind of another like energy waster that could add to either a split or it's stringing out a bit more. And that's it again, kind of what Roth was missing when you see someone like Magnus and Patrick Lang who are hanging on to the swim pack where maybe people expected them to not be as high up. I think that, you know, there's a bit of, you know, swim fitness and improvement on their end, but also some of the dynamics of the swim are just different from a, a PTO swim where, you know, that first, you know, 400 meters is so much harder and so much more aggressive as well as, you know, the first turn buoy coming a lot faster and guys like working together to kind of split it up. So where, where is the hardest portion for guys like we're talking about Christian Magnus, Jason, 
what's the hardest portion for them to hold on to? Is it just the is it the sprint from the start? Like if we're watching it, is that when they're going to be really hurting to hold on, or is it after the first buoy, or is it when it's strung out and someone chucks in a surge? When when is the point where you expect them to drop if they are going to drop, or or like when is it hardest for them? Well, you see it in ITU racing is everybody can sprint about the same for about two hundred meters. And then after that is kind of when all of the sorting out happens. So if you get a first good few strokes, you might be able to get that body length on somebody and everybody kind of collapses together. And I think that's when the chaos starts to happen is if you're not in that, you know, front quarter of the race, things really get chaotic and you have to sort your way through a pack. And that's kind of a learned art. And the guys who have done ITU more than the long distance guys, I think can navigate through a swim pack just a little bit better. But then if you add on top of that, you know, the pace is high, you're getting out to do the Aussie exit and you're diving back in. I personally love that. And I feel like the second lap is sometimes easier on my end. Cause I feel like I kind of get stronger on the second half. But I think that is if there's any small gaps there going into the second lap, that's where they could really get big because that momentum of those first few guys of the first pack just pulling everybody along, that that gap is really hard to close, especially if you're on the limit already holding it. And, you know, that comes from experience, too, and maybe not being in the best swim shape before like Edmonton and just watching those guys slowly pull away. And I was still there, but that sort of stuff is just like, if that happens in the middle of the race, like there can just be gaps that kind of explode at that point. And at any point during the swim, if you feel this isn't hot enough, we sort of haven't broken the hips as early as I would have liked, or you get out at the the Australian exit and you go, oh, this group's too big. Will you take it upon yourself to go to the front and push the pace? That, yeah, that depends all kind of on, you know, the dynamics, what's going on and how aware of everything that I am. Like if you see somebody, like if there's a gap and you could see Christian right there, like if I'm the last guy of a group of six or something, I can make a move. And if Christian is maybe five, 10 seconds behind, if I make a little bit of extra effort to run up ahead around the fifth guy or swim up along the side of the fifth guy and just try and cycle up towards uh, the front of that pack it does kind of create a bigger gap there that's harder to close for the guys behind. But also, you know, if the if there's already gaps developing and a couple of guys are already cycling through pretty well and the pace is maintaining, um, that's kind of how the European Open was this year. It's not really uh, the smartest race tactic, I guess, to go from if you're just sitting in and relaxing to like, oh, I want to spend all this extra effort to come up and around. And that's where some of those guys, when they plan that switch, they can kind of tap the feet or if they pull off that guy from behind doesn't have to exert all this extra effort to come up alongside that front swimmer, slow him down and then wait for that front swimmer to realize, oh, well, I'll just drop behind. They kind of make a quick exchange and that keeps the pace rolling versus if I like I would have to put in a huge effort to get to the front. So that just, there's kind of small things that you can do in there, but to, to go from just kind of sitting in the pack to just pushing the pace, it would really have to kind of slow down, have guys looking at each other. And we don't really see that happening as often with a super tactical swim, except for races like maybe Dallas last year, where people don't really want to lead because they don't want to overheat in the swim before they even get on the bike. 
And in amongst you, you front pack swimmers, like the the world class front pack that we've got of sort of fifteen guys at any point at, at any seventy point three or PTO race who could be in there, depending on who's starting. Who do you guys? And maybe maybe you can't speak on behalf of everyone and, and just speak on behalf of yourself. But if you if you do know the answer to this, who do you guys look at as the best swimmer in that pack? Is it is it like everyone else and and is it Aaron Royal or is it actually someone like a Dubrick or a Van Reel or Brownlee or yourself? You know, I think that it can kind of shift. It's uh, it's kind of who has it on the day. And Aaron has shown that, you know, on pretty much any given day, he's pretty much at the front of the race, pushing the pace. Um, I think someone like Mark Dubrick has, you know, kind of nothing, nothing to lose in this situation where he could go out and he could really push the swim to his benefit and a lot of other people's benefit and, uh, you know, be at the front of a world-class field. And that's kind of what we saw happen too in uh, 70.3 worlds, him and Aaron kind of trading off a little bit and Mark very willing to push the pace and he's a very good swimmer. So has the ability to do that. Um, but then you have guys too, like, you know, Jan showed in the Euro open that his swim hasn't missed at all. And I think he just knew that Aaron was going fast enough and he didn't need to do the job, but we saw him in Hamburg leading the swim there when he was racing. Uh, and I think in Andorra, he might've led it as well. So, um, Alistair Brownlee has the, the ability. So there's definitely a lot of guys and, um, you know, I could go on and there's five or six. So it really is who's the most aggressive on the day and um, who feels like it's kind of their responsibility. And uh, I mean, I haven't really spoken or heard too much from the other guys, but just hearing that Aaron and Martin are already planning that, like the responsibility might end up falling more on their shoulders just because they know that they really want to make something happen in the swim. And then, you know, a lot of guys can just kind of file in and fill in where they're needed. The world's best trisuit company, Win Republic, have just released their brand new trisuit collection called the Heritage Collection. And I think it's either my favorite or second favorite collection that Win have ever made. It's three designs. One is American inspired, one is Australian inspired, and one is New Zealand inspired. I, I just personally think the suits look absolutely amazing. They're sleek, they're subtle. I just, I love all three of the suits. The, the American one's probably my favorite and closely followed by the Australian one. But because I'm an Australian... Uh, I'm going to be racing in the Australian one for the rest of my triathlon um, season, and and probably even like going into Roth next year. I really want to I really want to rock that suit over on an international stage. So uh, I'm really excited to do that. They use Win's top of the line suit called the Lucaro Plus, which is their fastest, comfiest racing tri suit. If you want a tri suit, in my opinion, it needs to be comfy as a priority, and it needs to be fast as a bonus. Which are the two reasons I started using Win a few years ago in the first place because I just never had a comfy tri suit and I don't think I'd ever had one that was that aerodynamic. And I saw what Luke and, and Beth were doing at win and I, I, I bought one and I've never looked back. I, it's, it's all I wear now. The Luco plus what I like about it is their top of the line tri suit is it's taken both of those things to the next level, comfort and speed. Win are doing a pre-sale of the whole heritage collection now that ends on July 28th. So you've got to get in and order one quickly. Um, you could jump on their website to do that. We have a 15% off discount code that you can use if you do want to purchase that or anything on Win Republic's site for that matter. That discount code is TTH15. And yeah, it gets you 15% off anything at winrepublic.com. Um, I highly recommend going and checking out the Heritage Collection. I love it. I'll be wearing it. And I hope to see you out in a race course wearing one too. 
And just a couple more questions on the swim and then we'll move on to the the bike and the run and, and some other stuff to do with the race. Can Christian Blumenfeld, because he's gone back down to the shorter distance racing and, and has been forced to swim a little bit faster there and, and maybe work a little bit harder on it, can you see a world where he is able to stay with you guys? Yeah, I think he's done a good job over the years of you know limiting the damage in the swim, um, just depending on the race and the fatigue level that he's got going into it. Like uh, 70.3 Worlds, he was maybe... 45 seconds ish. He caught us pretty quick on the bike there, uh, right off the bat. Like, so he was close enough in the swim to, to be a factor right from the start. So I think it really just depends. The biggest question with him is just how's he recovering from all of the efforts that he's doing. And I think the question that is answered a lot of times of like, he recovers super well and is able to get up. So I think in the right circumstances, like people really shouldn't count him out just like they shouldn't, you know, underestimate guys like Magnus or even Jason or some of them, because I think when you start expecting people to go a certain way, uh, you get surprised when they do something shocking and it kind of throws you off a little bit. So my, my thing is I always go into every race kind of expecting people to, you know, either be there, be close or, or be at their best. And that I think is, is just something that, you know, can't rule Christian out in whatever he does. Which leads me to my next specific question, and that is that is about Magnus Ditliv. So you were in the, the Roth race, and you were the fastest swimmer in that Roth race, in my opinion. And Magnus was able to hold the front group, and everyone was pretty blown away by that, myself included. I sort of su- suspected yourself and Daniel Backergaard would, would work a little bit harder and, and be able to drop him. And Aaron Royal came onto the podcast the other day, and and he said that he believes you just didn't work hard enough and, and sort of allowed the swim pace to little, be a little bit too slow, and that's the reason why he was able to hold on. From your experience in the race, was that the case? Did you sort of hold back a little bit and pace, pace the swim a little bit slower than what you would at a PTO open race? Or is Magnus just in really great swim shape, um, and, and should we expect him to have a bit better swim um, at the PTO US Open like we did at Roth? Well, yeah, and there were three guys uh, in that race who were super good swimmers with Sam Laidlow, Daniel Backegaard, and myself. And, I mean, both of those other guys have had really great swims in a lot of their races across the board. And um, we all kind of took turns. Like, I don't think any of us felt, like, particularly great in the swim, Um, like, right at the start, maybe to make the break with, you know, sometimes that's fairly common with – swimmers not feeling like the best in wetsuits and i think it's also something to do just with it being a full distance race being an ironman distance and you know it's it's really easy on the outside to kind of say we just didn't work hard enough it didn't really feel like we weren't working that hard and i think we swam two and a half minutes faster than the year before um granted they didn't have wetsuits but that was jan who we know is in good swim shape you know, swimming faster or swimming pretty fast with that. And I think it probably comes out relatively similar to, um, you know, what we swam without like with wetsuits, with what he swam without wetsuits and that, you know, Magnus had a a decent size gap on him there. So I think it was just sort of the dynamics and the wetsuit swim. Um, and you know, Magnus has been saying that he's improved his swim and, he didn't feel like it really showed in Ibiza, but he felt like it showed a lot more in Roth. So 
you know, maybe it was just the right circumstances, but there's definitely a possibility that his swim training is starting to pay off and that he will be closer than he was in the Euro champs. So I'm hoping that with even more swimmers in the race and potentially a non-wetsuit swim, that maybe that works against him a little bit more than it did in Roth. But I think that we all know that it's a matter of time before Magnus tries to make a move from to the front. It's just, you know, what's that gap going to be out of the water? He also says that two things really, really suit him. And you said one of them, which is wetsuit swims. He, he thinks they really suit him. He also thinks lake swims really suit him as opposed to ocean swims. And the PTO US Open is in a lake. Can you sort of talk to me about that lake swim? Like how far to the first boy is it a really flat, like smooth lake or is it a bit choppy and more similar to ocean swimming? Well, it depends on, I think we're in a Harbor. Um, so I haven't looked at the the swim course map super close overall, but I think we stay in, it could be relatively protected, but Lake Michigan is a huge lake. Like it's almost the size of like a, a sea or an ocean. So there's actually like in the winter, cause the wind kicks up, like people go surfing on this lake. So there's still the opportunity for some chops, some waves, um, for it to be a little bit turbulent. I don't really know if it has like, you know, currents like the ocean necessarily, but there's definitely a bit of water movement there. Um, in the harbors, obviously that, that always kind of changes a little bit, but I think it will be a much different swim than, you know, a challenge Roth where that's like glassy, glassy water. Um, this is, you know, in the afternoon uh, slash evening and with potential for wind, it's pretty exposed. And yeah, it definitely could be a little bit different, but um, probably won't be like, you know, straight up ocean swim, but definitely will be a, a little bit more challenging. And the boys wrote Sam Long off. That's my next question. Do you think that with these race dynamics, it doesn't allow for, for Sam Long to to find the front of the race? Will he be too far back in the swim? And even if he has a, a really great ride, will he be a little bit too far back into T2 to be able to compete on the run? Or do you see him be at, being able to find the front of the race at some point? Uh, yeah, I have a healthy respect for for a lot of those guys who try and come from behind because you know I've been burned by them before. But I just think with the dynamics of this race in particular and with all of the guys who are showing up and the motivation of the front pack, it's going to be a really tough ask to, to make it from, you know, if you're coming out of the water behind Magnus and Christian, um, it's going to be tough to close those gaps because everybody's riding to stay away from Magnus or to stay with Magnus. And if you miss that train, you're kind of out of luck there. And even if you're with him, everybody knows like you're just burning matches just like crazy to reach the front. And, you know, Magnus is pretty much the only guy aside from like maybe Christian, Freddie Funk, like a lot of those like super strong bikers who can bridge that gap and still maybe have a little something left to play their cards. So um, I don't necessarily like to say I write people off, but I think that it's it's making it a lot more difficult when you're coming from that far behind in the swim. Removing yourself from the race, Ben, if, if you can. Who are you looking at as the favorite? Uh, well, it's hard to remove myself from the race because I kind of put myself right at the front up there. But Okay, let's just say you're in the race, but you're not allowed to win it. Even if you're in front, you have to stop five meters before the line. 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I think that the classic guys of like a, a Jan and Ali, a Christian, like you can't rule out Olympic gold medalists. But I think one of the most interesting guys in the race is Martin Van Riel. And I know the other guys talked about him a little bit, but, you know, I've raced against him for a number of years. Like I've raced side by side. I know how aggressive he races. He's always been a front pack swimmer, essentially. And uh, his bike, I think he's one of the few guys from the ITU who jumps straight from a road bike onto a time trial bike and just looks like he belongs there, like with his fit. And I mean, we all know he runs, you know, with the best of them in the ITU when he's at full form. I think his biggest question mark is how much of his form does he have back after his injury that he's been trying to come back from? Can you tell me a little bit about that injury? I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't know that much about it. I know that he's dealt with a couple of things. I mean, I think Aaron would have been maybe somebody better to, to explain it. I just know he's had a couple of, of things that trying to come back from maybe it was Achilles or I know at one point in Leeds, uh, you could see it on the, the finish line video. He had like rolled his ankle on that, like kind of rocky finish almost that they had up the hill. And I don't know if it was exactly from that, but I do know like just from his Instagram posts is basically the information that I get. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. It's kind of what he puts out there. Um, but he seems to be relatively open about that sort of stuff and just seems like his run has come back maybe a little bit slower than he would have liked, but obviously still hammering the front of the the IT races, the shorter stuff and being super aggressive on the swim bike and uh, is still, you know, running pretty quick and seems to be improving every race. So we'll kind of see how it all translates to a non-draft race. And Ben, you talked about the the importance of T1. So swim exit into bike start and finding good position there and finding sort of five to 10 seconds there because everyone rides really aggressively from the start. And as you said, it was the undoing of, um, you know, um, Daniel Backergaard, Jason West at the PTO European Open and ultimately pushed them back into the race into a position where they couldn't win. Can you explain what being in those dynamics is like? Like, can you explain what the first 10 kilometers of the bike is from when you step out of the water until you, everything sort of settled 10, 15 K into the ride? Yeah. And honestly, I think this racing doesn't really settle anymore. Uh, it's just, you know, pretty full on, pretty surgy guys kind of trading off. But, you know, if you see what somebody averages, like you throw out some random numbers, like if they're averaging anywhere from, you know, 325 to 345, then uh, normalized power, adjusted power is probably, you know, 10 to 20 watts higher than that with all of the surging that's going on. And you're not really riding that average. You're riding 30 to 40 Watts higher for those first 15 minutes as guys try and attack, settle in, have the group established. So, um, I know Kyle Smith kind of talked about it, um, and pretty much every Hill in Ibiza, like every time we were climbing, we were at or over 400 Watts. And even on that first stretch going out as I was, I think behind, um, like Jan at that point, and he was behind like Aaron Royal and Alistair and Kyle Smith were on the front. Like we were upper 300s just getting to the hill. And then from there, we just kind of kept accelerating off of that. And it's just those situations too, where a lot of people think the middle and long course distance racing are kind of like, you know, settling into your goal power for it. But really what long course racing is all about is managing those surges at, you know, over at or over threshold and then coming back down to that uh, average that you want to hold. And 
that has been, I think, kind of why these bikes have broken up so much, why you see guys trying to make the jump sometimes from short course to long course and uh, kind of get dropped in those bike rides because, you know, at the end of the day, when somebody posts their Strava and they go, hey, yeah, at the PTO open or whatever, we held 330 watts. Like a lot of guys can go out and just hold 330, but it's the surging and how hard you ride at like threshold and stuff throughout the race where it's almost being raced like an Olympic style race now versus like when I first got back into it in like 2017, where it was like, okay, just go out, hold a steady pace and just ride strong. And then you'll run a nice steady pace. It's just so much more aggressive. Inside that front group where it is really surgy, Whose surges are sort of the hardest to hold on to? And, and I won't ask you whose surges are the weakest, but, but which guys have like, um, which guys are the ones that are consistently pushing really aggressively when they are surging? And, and yeah, which ones do you find the hardest to hold on to? Well, I think everybody can agree. Like Magnus, when he gets up there is just, I think he's the hardest one to hold on to. And that comes from, you know, trying to just hold his wheel in Roth recently and, I think what's uh, sometimes scariest about his surging is he doesn't look like he's necessarily hammering. Like you might find some guys like Alistair Brownlee has been known to kind of like bobble around a little bit, or it might look sometimes like guys are really surging hard, but he just seems super smooth and doesn't always seem like he's really hammering. And his surges aren't, you know, the five minute surge that some guys might put in where you just weather it for a little bit he's at like a 10, 15, 20 minute surge. Like he surged in Roth and, you know, essentially it felt like the entire time, but we rode a good 45 minutes seemingly or more at, you know, what almost like my average of Ibiza was at for the entire race, which just seems insane to me at the beginning of, you know, a full distance race to just be riding that hard when you still have six hours of racing to go. So I think it's by far someone like him who just has such a good surge. And then, you know, the classic like Alistair Brownlee, I think is somebody who can just hammer and have no regard for if it's going to, you know, end in disaster or glory. And you just know, like, he's going to just bury himself. And if he's burying himself, like, it's definitely going to be hard for like, however long he's at the front. In an ideal world, are you guys just trying to keep Magnus from the front of the race based on what you saw at Roth and how he rode at Ibiza? I mean, yeah, we definitely, if you're going to work for a gap in the swim, you don't want anybody catching back up. Um, I think that the PTO distance, the 100K distance is a different beast than the full distance. And, you know, maybe I'm speaking too soon with... uh, you know, having not seen Magnus race another hundred K since Ibiza, but, and he had a great race there overall, but I feel like the, the full distance suits him just a little bit better um, with how strong he is. He doesn't, you know, we haven't seen him necessarily like, you know, super fast at the end of a hundred K race, like maybe like a, a Christian or um, a max or something like that. But yeah, I mean, you don't want to have him at the front of the bike too early because he'll push on. I think that's in his best interest is to continue to push on since he doesn't have that 58-minute run speed like some of these guys. Um, so that's where I think he kind of, you know, misjudged some of those guys' running ability in the Euro PTO Open. Um, but yeah, I mean, that whole pack from behind, you just don't ever want to let anybody in it because if you can take them out of the race early and you can kind of crush their soul, 
it just eliminates a large portion of the field like as early as possible. And with your own um, with your own riding inside of that group, are you going to be trying to go to the front? Are you trying to work? Are you trying to contribute? Or are you thinking maybe about sitting back in and letting others do the work and, and trying not to burn too many matches before the run? It's a careful balance that you have to kind of play with when you're in a pack like that because – you know, it's for example, in, in 70.3 worlds, when I was riding with Christian Magnus, Freddie Funk and Mickey Tagholt, like we all agreed at the end of the race, like Christian led that entire bike because of how hard he was riding at the front. And I looked at my power and I was like, this is basically what I wanted to hold if I was solo and trying to push the pace. So there's no point in me trying to surge around him right now, unless he really slows up or tries to get guys to work with him. And he just never looked back that entire race. And I imagine it could be a bit different in the PTO where, you know, maybe guys want to take a few minutes pull, maybe they'll cycle through and say, Hey, let's like try and keep the pace up. Cause we don't want these guys coming from behind, but it all just kind of depends like how big that pack is. Are guys feeling, you know, super antsy and a little nervous with some of these guys who are in the pack. Like uh, again, when Roth, like we had, Patrick Lang was right on my wheel and I just knew that that was probably the worst position for me to be in because um, Magnus was not going to stop riding hard until Patrick was gone and Patrick didn't look like he was going anywhere from my wheel for a while. So that's where, you know, all of those dynamics kind of take place and it's sometimes you're just trying to hold the wheel in front of you, depending on how hard the guys go in. And other times they're cycling through and saying, let's take like, you know, five, 10 minute pulls. Let's just keep the pace super high. So we keep our gap. And how's your running been going? Um, how's your run training been going? How's your, how's your recovery been since Roth? Are you confident that at the U S open, that if you come into T2 with, with the leaders that you can have a solid run? Yeah, I think that I can. Um, I mean, my run in Roth, I think finally showed this year, kind of what I've been working towards and what I'd wanted to show. Oceanside was pretty lackluster, um, just early season. And the Euro PTO, uh, the first half was just trying to find a rhythm and just couldn't get anywhere until Daniel came up. And then I ran half the run with him. And uh, looking at his time, he basically ran what my goal time was, uh, which was pretty great to see because I had, was just in a hole and just couldn't do anything. And I, I think he ran just under the the hour mark. So I, uh, I definitely feel pretty good about the run. I mean, I'm in a different position than I've ever been in before. Cause I had, you know, some great Ironman training, um, all the way through Roth and just had, you know, this great build. And we were planning on using that strength and endurance in this position right now, where we can just work on sharpening, getting some speed, getting some heat training for August with, um, you know, Milwaukee is probably going to be warm, but Singapore is going to be blazing hot. Um, and you know, I just, this could work out super well or it could blow up in our face. And we just don't know. Cause it's a position I've never been in coming off of a full distance since that was only my second one. And my first one, I took an off season after. So overall I feel really good. And I feel like, you know, swim, bike and run are all coming around and, it's just, you know, once you get on the start line, it's just about executing and, you know, making the most of the race situations that you're put in. But I like to think that, you know, coming off the front uh, with those guys, like being in front of a hometown crowd and uh, being in U.S. soil and everything like that, I, I definitely would like to be in that position again. 
Ben, thanks so much for coming on and having that chat, mate. That was, oh, I was so fascinated. That insight in particularly talking about the dynamics in the swim and going deep on that. I've never really done that on the podcast, and it was, mate. I was, I was, I was gripped by that. It was, um, it was awesome. You don't really get that kind of level of detail in 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 triathlon um podcasting or media or from from athletes too often so yeah that was awesome thanks for being so candid and honest and 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 like bringing us into the the world that you guys um that you guys create there in in the swim and and the race dynamics overall that was yeah great chat mate i'm i'm looking forward to to watching the swim now and seeing how all of that plays out and and picking up on a few things that you said that was yeah that's going to make watching the race so much funner so thank you for that mate um thank you for giving me your time uh i'm really excited to see your role in the race i i have you on because i think you're going to play a massive part like you like you did at the european open like you have been at most races um, in the past sort of 12 months so good luck with the rest of the build mate stay injury free and and we'll see you there on race day Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. If you aren't wearing FormSmart goggles when you swim, then you need to be. They are, in my opinion, by far the most underrated piece of triathlon training equipment that exists. None of us would ever run or ride without our GPS watch or device, but so many people swim without it, and it's probably indicative as to why it seems so much harder to improve in the water for everyone, because we all obsess and spend lots of time and effort energy, money into making our bike and run better. But our swim becomes almost an afterthought or something that we just like get up and slug through or finish work and slug through rather than are excited about improving. So I just think you should stop making that mistake and get yourself some form smart goggles and finally start swimming with purpose and using like the live pace and timing data to make that easier. If you want to get some, then use the discount code HTT15 when you buy them for 15% off. It also gets you a free 12-month premium membership to form.